transition now to a time and, and hear what God has placed on Robert's heart. Gracious Father in heaven, we indeed thank you for this day. Father, thank you for the blessings of coming together and giving us this opportunity to worship you, worship you so freely. Pray, Father, that the, the worship songs that we sang to you were music to your ears, Father. We praise you for being our Heavenly Father, and we thank you for the message that you've placed on Robert's heart this day to bring to us. Now, I pray for myself and my friends here. Open our minds, our hearts, Father. Let us hear. Let us engage you in the way that you've um, Im- embedded into Robert's heart the message to bring to us to this day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm excited to, uh, to be here with you guys this morning, um, be with my church family, um, but most of all, I'm excited because when we come into this place, um, the Holy Spirit of God wants to meet with us. And uh, so if you will, I know we just prayed, but if you will, just take a moment and join with me as we just kind of, I'll take a deep breath and, um, and just get our hearts and our minds ready to hear what God has for us this morning, because he is in this place and he wants to meet with us. So uh, let's pray together and, uh, and ask him to, to do a work in our hearts and our minds this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you this morning. God, I, I ask that you will do a mighty, mighty work in each one of our lives this morning. God, we understand very clearly throughout Scripture God, that you are everywhere and that you are already in this place, that you are in this room. But Father, we, we intentionally ask you to work in our hearts and our minds this morning. Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear this morning. And may your, may your good news, may your cross be lifted high this morning as we look at what it is to pursue health together. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mr. William Broyles, he's a Vietnam veteran, and he is quoted saying this, Part of me loved war. Now please understand, I'm a peaceful man, fond of children and pets, and I believe war should have no place in the affairs of men. But the comradeship of our platoon experienced in that war provides a moving an enduring memory in me. A comrade in war is someone you can trust with anything because you regularly trust him with your life. In war, individual possessions and advantage count for nothing. The group, the unit, the platoon is everything. A part of me loved war. Now what would make a man... A man say that a piece of him loved war. A piece of him loved the thing that could have got him killed at any moment. A piece of him loved war, a place where food is scarce, sleep is far from peaceful, and comfort is non-existent. What would make a man say that he loved, that a piece of him loved that? It's the unity he found with the men in his platoon. Mr. Broyles said this, hear this, a comrade in war is someone you can trust with anything because you regularly trust him with your life. In war, individual possessions mean nothing. An advantage for the individual means nothing. 
but the platoon and the group is everything. Guys, for you and I in Ephesians 6, we are told that we as followers of Jesus, that we are at a war. We are at a war, but it is far greater than any of flesh and blood. That we are at a spiritual war. That, that our souls are at war right now. That if you are saved by the blood of Jesus, if that is you, that you have a redeemed soul inside an unredeemed flesh. And that that soul is, is at war, that soul is at war and Satan is waging war on your soul, wanting to still kill and destroy you. And that battle is far greater than flesh. And for us and for God, he desires that our soul, that our life, that our everything, that everything in our world would bring him glory. Not just like a piece of it, not finance, not work, not the, but all of it together would bring him honor and glory. And that in all of it, he would be glorified. He desires your everything, but Satan seeks to destroy it all. For the past few weeks, we are looking at an area of our pursuit of health. And we are looking at how a piece of our everything, health, can and should bring God honor and glory. The beautiful part, though, is that God has designed us as Christians to fight the battle in this platoon with other believers. That he has called you and I not to go out and to be dropped off and to go at this thing by ourselves, but to do this, this battle with other believers. Let's look at one of the first gatherings of Christians uniting for the purpose of growing as a follower of Jesus. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 as you turn there, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning. A little background of what's going on. In history, we're probably 50 to 75 years past the crucifixion. So Jesus, 50, 75, 50 to 75 years before what we're reading, had lived his perfect life, gone to the cross, went into the tomb, came out, spent a little bit of time with his disciples, and then ascended into heaven uh, to the right hand of God where he's seated and alive today. So about 50 to 75 years before what we're reading, that happened. And we get to peek in to some of the disciples sharing and preaching Jesus. We are kind of getting this play-by-play of the first people who call Lord Jesus Lord and Savior after the cross. And we're also kind of getting this blueprint, if you will, our manual for us from Jesus, as, from God, as to how to be a member of the local church and how to live. So we'll pick up reading in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse, um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And I want you to catch the first word of 42, all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, did you catch that word, all? He says all, not half, not, not, not a few, not the majority, not 99, not everyone, but one, but all. I mean, we hear about it, right? Jesus is concerned about everyone. He says, talk, talk, uh, gives us a parable and tells this parable that says, if, if a man has 99 sheep and he loses one, does he not leave the 99 to go after the one? And then when he finds the one, he rejoices in it. Jesus, God, they, can, they care about the all. So if you are here this morning, God is calling you to be part of the all. 
God and his word to you and I calls us to be part of the all. Now, as we read, we see that the all, they were people who were what? They were devoted. Devoted simply means this. It means to stay by, to persist at, to remain with, to be loyal to someone, to occupy oneself diligently with something, to pay attention to continually, to be in, to be persistent at. Now, we're going to leave the idea of devotion, and hang on, and we'll be back to that. But let's keep digging. What are the believers in Acts 2, what are they called to? What are the four things they're called to? The first thing we see is they are called to the apostles' teaching. For the believer in Acts, the apostles were the men God placed placed in front of them to shepherd them and to lead them. For the believers in Acts, it happened to be some of the original 12 disciples. But for us today, God has called men to teach, to lead, to shepherd our local churches, and we call them pastors. In First and Second Timothy and Titus, we hear all about God in his perfect wisdom, how he equips pastors he has truly called. He equips pastors to properly lead, to teach, and to shepherd. Now make sure you hear that, that God did and that God will always be the one who is equipping the pastor. We must then trust that as the pastor, as he leads from the foundation of God's word, that as he reads and teaches from God's word, that we are hearing what God wants us to hear because it is from his word. Now, for us, what does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to be devoted to that. Well, I think very practically, it comes out a few ways. I think one of the very, very practical ways you and I together as an all devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to our shepherd, to our pastor's teaching, is very simply, we take notes on Sunday. I know that sounds like, what's it? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're like I am, Sunday morning, I'll come in and I'll sit down listening to Rick or, or whoever is preaching. And, and, and I sit down and I'm like, all right, God, what do you have? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. Amen. Oh, yeah, amen. Man, I'm kind of hungry. Man, speaking of hungry, where am I going to eat for lunch? Ah, oh, Chick-fil-A. That Dang it, it's closed on Sunday. Um, y'all thought that too, right? Like there's something in their food that makes you want their food on Sunday, I promise. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, anyway, back, back, back to the message, right? And so if you're like I am, I tend to do that. So taking notes in a very simple, practical way, it helps me stay on track. Going back over the sermon, this is something that, that I used to love to do. We, um, my wife and I, Michelle, when we would go to her parents' house and we would go to church with them on a Sunday um, we would, after whether we went out to eat or whether we went back to, to the parents' house, my in-law's house, and ate, we would sit and we would talk through the sermon. I mean, it may be 30 minutes, it may be a few hours. Sometimes it was into the early afternoons. And we're just discussing the sermon. We're opening our Bibles going, let's look at this. Let's discuss this. And we dig into what the sermon, what God had for us in the sermon. I believe another way that we come and devote ourselves is we come ready to hear God. Man, I, I know I'm guilty, maybe, maybe you are too, that maybe just one Sunday a year, I come in and I'm just here, and, and I'm guilty of that, and I have to stop and pray, God, get my heart ready for what you want this morning. So one way we can devote ourselves is when we come in, maybe it's in the car before you get out, maybe you get in a few minutes early and just take your seat and pray, whatever that looks like for you, we get our hearts ready. 
The next thing, the next piece we do as believers as a whole is we devote devote ourselves to fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which means fellow participant. It implies fellowship or sharing with someone or something. For us, as followers of Jesus, we are fellow participants in the sharing of the redemption that comes from Jesus. We together share the freedom, the joy, the, few, the hope of, of what is to come, the hope that is now, that comes from Jesus. What this looks like practically is that when we come together, when we show up and we spend time around each other, that we rejoice and we share in the fact that we are free from the grip of sin. That when we come together, that the, the blood of Jesus, that the redemption found in Jesus and his love for us, that that is on the forefront of our mind. That when we get together, we praise God that we don't have to attain a list and do's and don'ts to earn salvation, but yet it's freely given on the cross. The other day I was at lunch with Mark Hale, a good buddy of mine, and um, he usually leads worship. If you don't know Mark, big, beautiful red beard, that's Mark. Um, Mark and I, we were out at lunch, and man, he, he, was, he was sharing with me. Um, he shared me in the past few months that, that God has really been doing some awesome stuff in his life, and that's especially around the areas of health, but yet the reason that he has, has been freed from this up-and-down roller coaster of dieting and, and this, this struggle of, of bringing God glory is that he and his family have been embracing and meditating on this truth that they, it's not new to them that they know, but they have been embracing that there's freedom in Jesus. That they are not defined by the things they do or don't do, but they're defined by the blood of Jesus. And he said that he and his family, they have had more motivation and discipline than ever around pursuing health because they are embracing the truth that they had heard for years, that there's freedom in Christ. And this freedom, Mark says, is the drive, has been the drive, and I can relate to that. As I struggle and go after and pursue health in my own walk, in one of my own battles of eating correctly and exercising, when I go after that, what drives me, what drives me is the fact that when I did not deserve it, God sent his son to take my sins and to pardon my sins. Man, that wants me to get, that, that just drives me to do everything. And so he's sharing, he's, he's sharing in this freedom, but the other beautiful part is that Mark is getting to share this in the community, his small group that he's with. And him and I, we shared true fellowship as he was rejoicing. We were rejoicing over lunch of the joys of Christ. Guys, this is why you and I as Christians should be some of the most excited, happy, joyous, just pumped up people in the world. Because we're freed by Jesus. I mean, what happens it today? What's the worst that can happen? We go home, praise be to God. Right? Like, this should be, the, we should, they should look and go, something's different about you. You're a bit crazy, but something's different. Because we are freed by Jesus. The next thing we should do together is share meals together, including the Lord's Supper. For so many of us, this, this act becomes monotonous and thoughtless. 
different people, different commentaries, different theologians, uh, studiers of, of God and his word, they said that sharing a meal together or breaking bread could have different meanings. One being the thing we do three times a day. The next being what we do up front with bread and juice, the, the communion that we take. Now, I would argue that regardless of which one it is, that God has called us in both means to remember his body broken for us. That whether you're eating your meals every day or whether you're taking communion, that God is calling you to bring the overwhelming truth of the, of, of the salvation that you have in him to the forefront of your mind and to recall that. And I think it's so cool that God has caught us in our whole life to remember that good news of Jesus. And what does he do? He puts something in us that says, hey, go eat. And he goes, oh, and by the way, go use that. Remember me. Man, I'm guilty. Oh, I'm so guilty of that. Just eating a meal and being like, dear Lord, thank you for food. Amen. All right, let's eat. Instead of stopping and going, God, as I eat this, may I remember what you've done for me. May I remember what you've done for me. And like we said, and like this text says, that we should do this together. And we'll get back to, to eating together in a little bit as we keep going. The next thing we're called to do is pray together. So often we look at prayer as just something we have to get better at, right? Like even when somebody from the front or from the stage says, hey, today we're going to talk about prayer, we all immediately go, oh, no, I got to get better at that, right? Okay, y'all, y'all need to teach me how to pray because that's me. Like when I hear somebody pray, I'm just like, oh, no. Like, like I think of it as this discipline, right? And instead of looking at, looking at prayer as I get to talk to the God of the universe who created and sustains me, I get to talk to him. And that that talking to him came with a price. Because in the Old Testament, they couldn't talk directly to God. They had to go through a high priest, a mediator. But because of Jesus, he is the great mediator, the great high priest. And therefore, I get to talk to him freely. And it's not a chore. It's not a task. It's a freedom we have that I, that I neglect so often. But yet it should be a time of rejoicing. And as we rejoice in getting to pray, we should do that together. Man, it shouldn't be awkward when somebody puts their arm around you and said, let's, pr- let's pray. And she'd be like, all right, we, we do this. Let's go, right? Let, let's, let's pray. It should be a normal thing of our life that we're called to do. So I have to ask you, how are you doing with your devoting yourself with others to these four things? Now, notice what I said. I didn't say, hey, how are you doing with these four things? No, how are you doing with devoting yourself with other people to these four things. I'm not just talking about showing up at a a group once every two months and saying, oh, I did it. But truly living life with other people. Because see, community and doing life with friends is not just surrounding yourself by one or two people that tell you what you want to hear all the time, nor is it just slipping in and out really quick on Sunday It is coming and it is being with other people, living life with them, letting them know you and you getting to know them. And I mean getting to know them. Notice, notice how as we keep going, how when God, when the people of God, when they lived in small groups and when they devoted themselves to Jesus, notice what happened here. 
Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Now, we love to be awed, right? We love to be in this sense of awe, whether it's an awesome sporting game with an amazing ending that we never saw coming, especially if it's our team winning. Not so much if it's not, but we're still kind of like, okay, good game, kind of. Whether it was a spectacular piece of art you've seen for the first time, or maybe a musician, seeing a musician perform your favorite rendition of your favorite song that just blows your mind. Maybe it's eating your favorite food and it just tastes brand new all over again, even though you've had it a thousand times, whether it's illusions, whatever it is, we love to be awed. But I believe that we approach, often approach the sense of awe completely backwards. Because the word awe is translated to mean reverent fear and biblical, and biblically speaking, a sense of awe is not about us at all. The biblical sense of awe is all about him. When we do, when, when, we, when we come seeking this awe for our sake, we're saying it's about us. Man, I cannot tell you as a pastor um, how many times people, even in, in my short few years of pastoring, how many people come up to me and say, Robert, if God would just do a sign... Like, if God would just, like, I want to see somebody, like, dead come alive, I would believe then. Or, you know what, I could, under, like, oh, my faith is just, just not strengthened. And, and if, you know, if what happened in the Old Testament, what happened to me right now, I would, I would believe forever and my faith would be strong. And when we do that, we're saying we want this all to be about us. Because, see, even, even when the apostles and those in the Bible, even when they performed miraculous signs, it was not them performing these miraculous signs so people would be in awe. Jesus did not heal or raise anybody from the dead so somebody would go, man, that's pretty cool. Can you do that again? Like, he did all, all miraculous signs throughout the Bible was done so that people would praise God all the more. We are to experience awe all together. All together, you and I should come together and be awed by the love of God for you and I. Keep going. What else did they do all together? And all the believers met together in one place and sharing everything. They sold all their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. Because they were all in awe of Jesus, they lived out the love of Jesus They lived in such a way that they gave to someone when it was in need. When they were in need, they gave to them. They had a deep, genuine desire to see those around them not be in need. Ultimately, each person of the group helped carry the burden of those in their group. They, They shouldered the weights of those in need. And guys, that's what happens when you live in small group. That's what happens when you live in a community, when you are down and out and when you are hurting and the world is just pressing upon you, your brother or your sister come up next to you and say, let's do this. 
And what happens is when you're having a bad day and when you are focusing on, on all of the enemy's lies that you're not good enough, that you've got to do this and that to be holy, that this and is, is overwhelming and you can't handle it, that your buddy comes up next to you and says, hey, let's go back to the cross together. And guess what? You get to do that for other people. When other people are down and out, when other people are just like, I just can't take this anymore. You get to get down on a knee and say, hey, let's stand up together and let's run to the cross. That's what it looks like. That's what happened in, in this when they said they came together and they sold all of their stuff for those who were in need. But now we must notice this also. We must notice that though they were following Jesus and though Jesus, God was doing amazing things in their community, there was still need. Like, life didn't become perfect when Jesus entered the room. I mean, he is perfect, but like we said, we have, an unre- we have a redeemed soul and an unredeemed flesh. We're still in a broken world, and it will not be perfect until the day we go home. But, like I said, it is amazing and beautiful, and thanks be to God that he has provided us to live in community. He designed it for us to live in community, that when we're down and out, faced down on the ground, that our group of people... Our people grab us and say, let's run back to Jesus. What else? Verse 46, they then, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Notice they met together as a large body, but then they also met in homes. They made a priority in their lives to meet and worship corporately, but then to go out and to be in smaller groups. Now, what did they do in their homes? They shared a meal. Now, as we stated earlier, the breaking of bread was intended for us to come together and remember the work of Jesus in our lives. So when they came together, they recalled the good news of Jesus. And this is what fueled their lives to live a life of joy and freedom together. And I think there's another, another thing that happens when you share meals together in, in group, when you, when you enter somebody's home and when you live life with someone, it's, is things begin to become real, authentic. What happens is you start to peel away the facade of, oh, we're perfect, and run to the truth that we are all in need of Jesus. And when we do that, when a group does that, we start to see that we, in, in a much faster, aggressive pursuit, we run harder and more frequently after the grace of Jesus. Because we, we don't have to peel back all the layers, we just live in this. As a small groups pastor, that's one of my favorite parts of my job, is getting to hear of small groups doing this. Getting to hear when my small group leaders call in and say, Robert, it was amazing. I mean, we shared all of our junk, we laid it all on the line, and it hurt, and it was scary. But you know what, because of that, because of that, so-and-so, they opened up, and so-and-so opened up, and so-and-so, and Jesus is, is working in people's lives like we've never seen it. I believe that's what happens when you live life together. That's what happens when you share meals together, and you get in each other's homes and remember the goodness of Jesus. In verse 47, what did they do? All, oh, this is good. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of people. Here it is. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Amen. That's what it's about. They're coming together. They're remembering the cross. They're remembering Jesus. They're remembering the goodness. And God does what God does. He saves souls and adds to their numbers daily. 
we see a group of people gathering together in community and keeping the love of Jesus at the center and God glorifies his name through that. Praising the Lord with our whole life and people growing in Jesus is what it's all about. And that, <clears throat> that is <clears throat> and has been our heart here at FCC around the pursuit of health. Our desire is that all of us, all of us would praise the Lord through the pursuit of health. Not the pursuit of vanity or achieving the health, but the lifelong pursuit of health because of the love of Jesus in our lives. Not pursuing health just for the health's sake, but for the worship of God. Because the reality is this, that if you're a hundred-year-old triathlon winner who eats nothing but kale, drinks only water, and never even thought the word cheeseburger, if you die without Jesus, you spend eternity away from Jesus. So our heart here is that we would pursue health together and that in pursuing health, that that would just be a piece of our whole world that we give honor and glory to God. But yet in that pursuit of health that so many of us never even, never even crossed our mind that that was a way we could worship. A way we could worship God as he truly deserved. In our lives here on earth, God has called us to bring him all the honor and praise in every part of our lives and squeeze worship out of every ounce of our life. If we got real honest with each other today, we would understand that this is a lifelong pursuit of health. Hint the title, the pursuit of health. And if we got real honest, the fact is it is going to be a lifelong pursuit. And if for some of you that kind of like freaks you out, that kind of like, oh, like I'm going to be doing this forever? Yes. And the moment you're like, you know what? I got this health thing. You're going to look back and be like, uh-oh, where'd the finances go, right? Or where, oh, where's the relationship? Oh, where's that area? Oh, where's this? Or just think the wheels fall off. And you're like, what? And for some of you that might just put the weight back on your shoulders, but the reality is that in our lifelong pursuit of health, though it will not be easy, it'll have its ups and downs, but God has not intended for you to do it alone. He has given you a community of people around you to help you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Not only has God given you community, but he then sets out a plan of how to do community. In the Daniel plan, there's two quotes that really stick out to me, and it's this. One is, community has the power to change our overall health more than any doctor or clinic. And the next quote is, our social circles influence our health even more than our DNA. And the more I thought about that, the more I started to agree with it. Because I agree with it in this way, that I believe that God designed community to do it that way. If, if your DNA tells you you are gonna, you're prone to heart disease, if you start to live and do life in a healthy community, you could see that change. He designed our lives to be lived in community. So as, as we get ready to wrap up, usually 
while we're in the middle of a series, you notice the pastor will review the previous weeks at the beginning of the sermon. But I wanted to wait till the end. See, week one, we talked about faith. We talked about how, we talked about how God and his love for us, that we are called to honor him with our health and with our faith and how they play a key role in week two, how food, that, that the food that God wants us to be Lord over what we eat and how we eat it and how it can be worship, a worshipful experience. And then last week we looked at how we can practically worship God through our exercise. And this week with friends, to simply sum up this week, weeks one and three can be very hard, but God gave us each other to help us stay focused on him and on his love as we pursue weeks one through three. He designed us to to live in accountability with one another. He designed you and I to live in accountability, accountability to the cross. Not Not accountability to failure, not accountability to, oh, let's get better, but accountability to the good news of Jesus. So today I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you with three things as we leave. The first one is if you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want to challenge you today to make Jesus Lord. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says that everything he pursued in this world without God was vanity, vanity, vanity. And so no matter where you're at in here today, If you have never stopped and surrendered your life and said, Jesus, I I want to give you my life. I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. God, I understand that I didn't deserve your love. I didn't deserve your sacrifice on the cross. But God, you gave it to me. Yet while I was a sinner, you gave it. And today, maybe you're understanding that for the first time and you need to give your life to Jesus and call him Lord and Savior this morning. If that's you, Man, I would love to talk to you afterwards. There'll be a prayer team that would love to talk to you. I encourage you and challenge you to think about that, wrestle with that, and not to leave here until you have. My second challenge is to truly get plugged into a Christian community, to join a group of believers that you can pursue health with along other things together. Join a group of believers here that you can pursue Jesus with. For us as FCC, we we have small groups is one of the, the ways to do that. We have other groups, but regardless, I want to encourage you to join a group. And last, if you're in a group, I want to encourage you to keep going. To keep going, keep fighting, keep running to the cross, keep holding each other accountable to the good news of Jesus. And as we continue to pursue health, may we see it as another way God has called us to worship him because he's worthy of all of our worship. Let's pray and let's continue doing just that worshiping this morning. Father God, God, we we don't deserve your love. God, you gave it to us. God, we praise you for that. God, I pray that that everybody in this place would just feel the overwhelming, just know the overwhelming truth, God, that you love them, 
You love them where they're at. God, you don't want and desire and love the future version of them, but you love them where they are right now. God, that though where we sit right now, you have called us, though, to keep growing and to keep running after you. And so, Father, help us to do that. Help us to run after you. Help us to pursue you. Help us to seek you with all that we have, not because we have to, not because it's a list of do's and don'ts, not because it's a checklist, but because we have freedom in you, Jesus, because we have joy in you. God, may we worship you with our whole lives. And God, may we all, may all of us here this morning join together as we stand in awe of you. It's in your name.